It is a new era in Minnesota. Dawn Plitzer-White is here to tell me all about it. Locked on Women's Basketball starts now. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are Locked on Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Lockdown Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Meddell. I want to thank you for making us your first listen every day. You keep showing up for us, over 100,000 listeners here in September already, and we still have several days to go. Fourth month in a row, you've done that. We are here for you six days a week talking all things women's basketball. Of course, a ton of WNBA playoffs coming to you. We had some semifinal talk yesterday. Tomorrow, Jacqueline LeBlanc, who covers the Connecticut Sun, up one to nothing over at the next, will be here to join us. And of course, that is critical. It is not just me, it is the entire team over at the next, thenexthoops.com. We have over 100 reported pieces about women's basketball every single month. Go ahead and sign up. It's $9 a month, $72 a year. It's the women's basketball newsroom that we've all wanted, and it is here. And of course, we are deep in preparations for the collegiate season, even though it is still the WNBA playoffs, because we do everything. And there may not be a more interesting story in my mind than Dawn Plitzewhite and what you are building here at Minnesota. And I just want to give our listeners a bit of context. In segment one, we're going to talk about your road to get here. In segment two, a little more about the dynamics of this roster. But just to open it and just to sort of take it from the top, I've seen a lot of basketball in my career covering this game. But what your team at South Dakota did in the round of 32 against Baylor, just the way like piece by piece you took that game apart and made it your own is just something I will never forget against a Baylor team that had a legitimate chance to win a national title. So when you answered a question at the press conference, you spoke about process over pace and uh, process over ceiling too. And you kept coming back to it. I just wonder how much of that game felt like your process at South Dakota manifested the way you wanted it to look. Well, I think ultimately, Howard, it's it's so important for us to do little things really well. And, and in that game, that's exactly what we were able to do. We were able to get stops, get out in transition, hunt an open shot. And then we were, and unfortunately, we made them. So that really helped our cause, at least early in the game. And then just continue to help each other. And you could see that group had really learned how to really take care of each other. I think in the game of basketball, I asked our players this on the very first day here at Minnesota, how many timeouts do we as, as a team get to call in a game? And they looked around and was like, I don't really know. Like the answer is four. We get four timeouts. In women's basketball, we get to call timeouts in advance of basketball the last minute of the game. I was just having a great conversation with our men's head coach, Ben Johnson, last night about it because it's a great part of women's basketball. So really, you want to save at least three timeouts if you can maybe all four for that last minute of the game. So what does that mean? It means that we get our media timeouts and it means that our players on the court need to be able to problem solve 
and fix things kind of on their own a lot of a lot of times. And so a lot of what we do in practice, Howard, is trying to teach our players how to do those type of things. Okay, now you're huddled up at the free throw line. What are we what what's going on? What are you saying to each other? What needs to be changed? How can you affect those kind of things? So it is that game really was a, a culmination of of years of preparation of just doing little things well. And we had a very experienced group. So that certainly helped us. And it's interesting. There was a lot of coverage at the time you were hired that, you know, oh, you were at West Virginia for one year. And, and, and that is true, right? But it ignores what you have done in this game going back a couple of decades. I mean, you've won everywhere you've been. You won a D2 championship at Grand Valley State. That South Dakota team was, I mean, it's just such a, it was such a fun watch. And it's a fun watch, right? But not in the traditional way you think of it. Oh, up-tempo. Oh, how you finish. I, it was a team that would, I mean, if you'll forgive me, grind opponents into dust. And so I, I wonder when you think about how you want to build this Minnesota team, how does the build look similar in terms of what you did at South Dakota? And how does it look different? Obviously, there's some difference differences in terms of where you're playing, how you're playing. But I just wonder for you, sort of how you've conceived that process. Uh, you take us through it. Well, I think the first thing we have to help our players with, we, I, I went to school to be initially to be a kindergarten teacher. And then I changed into being a math. I was going to teach math and biology in high school. I'm not really sure why that came about the way it was. So the analytics of the game are fascinating to me. And so people often ask me, well, what service do you subscribe to? I'm like, I just go on the stats and I look at it and study it and, and look at a, a lot of different things to, to help our players understand who we want to be. And I think the biggest thing for us is we talk about efficiency. So we want to be efficient. You know, a lot of teams ever, in order for us to play fast, we have to get stops. That means we have to defensively be efficient in what we're doing and hold teams down and make them uncomfortable. Then on the other end, there are a lot of teams that play fast, but don't value the basketball. We want to be able to do both. Mm -hmm. And that's really challenging and, and understanding what that looks like. Although yesterday I did tell our players, ultimately the game comes down to who can, and this I think is to your point, the game comes down to getting stops in a half court and scoring in a half court. And that's kind of that grind process, if you will, of what does it take, you know, how, and, and how exactly do you go about doing that? And so we talk a lot about the analytics of it, but then, and then practice that way, you know, so if we want to score efficiently, then in this segment of the drill, we have to score six out of eight times or you know five out of ten times or whatever that number is on that day and and then I think when players what it does is it puts them in a situation where they're feeling if you will pressure in practice and and then all of a sudden the game's like oh we've done this before okay we got it yeah we've been here before oh we practice this all the time and so uh, you know hopefully your players receive a level of confidence knowing they can do it because they've done it before it makes sense and again it goes back to being able to execute, if you play slower, you obviously have to execute as efficiently as possible because there are fewer possessions to make it up. But this is, of course, always how you've done it. Obviously, you're coming in with a group that was eighth in the nation in pace last year. You guys were 309th in South Dakota in 21-22. You guys won 28 games, which is ultimately, the end of the day, what you need to do. Are you somebody who has a specific pace in mind or are you somebody who likes to tailor it to personnel? There were obviously some specific reasons to play that way at South Dakota. Well, I think for us at, at South Dakota in the 1920 season, we were 30 and two 
you know, heading into the NCAA tournament that then got canceled. That team was number two in the country in overall offensive efficiency, scoring over 80 points a game. And so with that, our personnel that year, that made a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. With our personnel, what happened in 21-22, in we ended up going to the Sweet 16. We might have played slower, but you know why? Because we were really good defensively that year, yeah. and we were efficient on the offensive end. We, we didn't score at quite the same clip because it took longer for our opponents to get shots up because we were better defensively at that point in time. So again, when you study the analytics of it, it can be totally different. I also think this, we are a team that in transition, if, if depending on what you look at, if you look at synergy, synergy a lot of times doesn't consider if you score in the first eight seconds of the shot clock, I think that's still playing pretty fast, but because maybe you didn't put your head down and go to the rim right away or just kick it and shoot it, Maybe it got passed twice and then it got shot. Maybe we set two screens before it got shot. It didn't count as a transition offensive look. And so, you know, I think sometimes that part can be skewed too. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. Although I do have to note in defense of both of those teams, you were over a point per possession in both of those years, 1920, where I'm sure you it probably plays in your mind, right? That team was so right. good. That, that what that team could have been, what that team could have done had there been an NCAA tournament. But in both that year in 21-22, you were still over a point per possession, even in the synergy narrower view of what transition was. So, it, you know, clearly uh, a team that was able to do it all when needed. It was more a question of what was needed for the time, right? Oh, absolutely. And I think ultimately what was transpiring within our program is that we were becoming a little bit more athletic when we got to the 21, 22 season, Mm -hmm. when we got to be a little bit more athletic and some of our kids who had been in the program for our young ladies who've been in it for maybe five years, all of a sudden we went from being, we, we could be a team back like in 1920 that could guard you. If we could really scout you and we needed days to prep to where we got to the point in that 21-22 season where we were just good defensively, even if you changed exactly what you're doing beforehand, our, our young ladies could figure it out because they they understood the game at such a high level. They had abilities to make things happen. And so there's some give and take in, in, in everything that you do. Now with this team at Minnesota, I really believe that we can be a team that that scores efficiently now we were when when I studied the analytics and studied the the just Big Ten games. How did we at Minnesota perform in just Big Ten games last year? The hard part for us is we committed eighteen point nine turnovers per game. Okay, in those eight, in those games that we we took out, we played our eighteen games. So that has to be something we make a, a major point of emphasis. We scored at a thirty nine point five or thirty nine point six, and there's thirty nine point six percentage clip in Big Ten only games. Mm-hmm. And so, when you look at sometimes the big picture, rather than sometimes kind of narrowing it in like you do, how is where where specifically do we have to get better? And and so we look at a lot of those things, and that's really what we're we're working on now is how do we become more efficient on the offensive end, we're getting in a lot of scenarios, getting really good shots, but now we need to be able to convert those at a high level. And in women's basketball, that isn't necessarily something that the women's game is great at yet. It's an area you've watched WNBA games now so much better than even a few years ago, but finishing at the rim is something we spend a great deal of time at. Then hitting open arc shots, taking care of the basketball offense, or even all of it's a part of it. 
you know, making free throws can account for, for a great deal of it. Our teams at South Dakota were typically pretty good at doing that too. Yeah. Now no, our that, and our kids here have that ability. And I really believe that in time, well, now the question is, what does that look like? You know, what does the time look like? I, how do you know? You don't know. It, the good thing is we have young ladies who really care. You know, how are they really want to be good? That's the first piece. And then they learn fast. That's a great part of it. And so they care, they learn fast. But the question becomes, you know, how, how long can we sustain the good stretches? And then in every game, there are stretches that aren't good. How do we, how do we stop when things aren't going our way? How do we stop them from, from the going in that direction and then get the momentum to turn, turn in the other direction? And so those are all things that, you know, we have to, we'll probably not learn until we get into games, honestly. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. And so in segment two, I want to talk about how the rubber meets the road, both with the team that you have and also specifically the Big Ten play, which I think is a vital way to look at it. Uh, first, we're going to take a moment for our sponsor. Here to talk to you guys about FanDuel, and FanDuel has a really interesting offer for the NFL this season. I know that's a sensitive subject in Minnesota right now, given the close <laughs> losses for the Vikings that have been happening. I mean, it was kind of the balance after all the close wins last year. But, um, you know, win or lose, if you bet at FanDuel right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. So it's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been Thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. There's spreads, player props, over-unders, and much more. So go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to take advantage of this offer during the NFL season. Again, it's FanDuel.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. I know one of your assistants, Rachel Bannum, has, of course, taken those losses particularly hard. So please give her my condolences over the Owens. <laughs> I will share that with her. So the specifics of this team. And, I, you know, it's interesting because there's there's the way that the team was talked about last year. And there's the way the numbers reflect what that team was. And so one of the things that I found most interesting was that this team by the numbers, was extremely effective at rebounding the basketball last year. And that was happening without Nia Holloway. That was happening without Sophie Hart coming in as a transfer from NC State, a very big deal that you guys bring in Sophie as well. And so what did you see from this team where, you know, there's a conversation, gee, they need to get bigger, they're, you know, um, outgunned uh, on the boards, where was the disconnect last year in Big Ten play for you? Well, I think ultimately it's really funny because I asked a couple of our coaches on staff a question about, you know, what are, what are key statistics? We want to make up ground, obviously. So what are some very key statistics to do that? And, you know, a lot of them say rebounding. I said, actually, if you look statistically at the Big Ten – and the Big Ten is such a powerhouse right now, and it's really a powerhouse in terms of scoring. So the number one scoring team in the country, offensive efficiency, was Iowa, right? They obviously also led the Big Ten in scoring. But the, there are seven teams that went to play in the NCAA tournament last year from the Big Ten. The question becomes, what did those seven teams do to separate themselves? 
And the answer in looking at and studying some of the analytics behind it, one of the things, and this isn't just one area, but one of the things that those seven teams did better than the rest of the teams in the conference is they scored it. They were the best in field goal percentage offense mm-hmm. in Big Ten games. But then if you really score efficiently, guess what you can't get? You can't get offensive rebounds. Well, then that can skew your rebounding numbers. Then there are teams like Maryland last year was the number one team in the conference in turnover margin. So they turned their opponents over and they took care of the ball at a pretty high level. Well, if you're turning your opponents over and you're taking care of the basketball, you're not going to win the rebounding battle because you're not giving your opponents a chance to shoot it as much. So you can't get as many defensive rebounds. And if you're scoring it efficiently, you're not giving yourself as many chances at offensive rebounds. So while rebounding is such a huge part of the game, we change it more into how to finish plays because finishing plays could be getting deflected passes. It could be getting tipped shots. It could be getting rebounds on both ends of the court taking charges, finishing plays. So we kind of categorize it a little bit differently. And, and I think it's interesting because we we are, we have been a, a good rebounding team, and that is important to build upon. Mm-hmm. But maybe as we saw from last year's stats, maybe not the most important. And you, no doubt. And, and again, you, you touched on it, but taking care of the basketball is obviously a place where, you know, this was a team that was near the bottom of the Big Ten, both – uh, in Big Ten games and overall. And I know that is a place where, okay, look, you have a freshman point guard and, and, and very talented one last year in Amaya Battle playing, you know, almost 30 minutes a game. I know and we'll, we'll get into when we talk about, you know, the freshman coming in. The plan obviously has had to change a little bit due to injury. But, you know, how does that position then look for you? You have Amaya looking to take a step forward. She was north of 30% assist percentage too. So you're making a lot of plays but, you know, cutting down those those turnovers is vital. And then, you know, figuring out whether it's through the, the grad transfer who comes in, Janae Sanders, who I know played a little point guard at LaSalle early on in her career. Is that more Mara Braun playing as, you know, essentially a point two three? You know, I, what does that look like to you guys? <laughs> those are all really good options. You've really done your homework. We'll take it. You want to come to practice? You can help us figure it out. Uh, I think ultimately for us, The advantage, uh, I believe this is an advantage that we've had over the course of time, is that we don't necessarily have to have one or two players have to have the ball in their hands to bring the ball up the court, whether it's in transition for us, whether that's in even after uh, a score, opponent score. We want our point guard to handle the ball the majority of the time, but ultimately we are best when we have three point guards on the courts, three kids who really are comfortable handling it, making things happen. If we can get to the point where we have five kids on the court doing that, then we, then you're really hard to guard. And, mm-hmm. and I think ultimately what we do is try to build build those type of players. The, the more versatile we can become, the better we are with meaning that everybody does, does the same type of drills in terms of handling it, scoring it, passing it. You know, we were talk- spent time again last night talking to Ben Johnson about the importance of being a great passer. You know, and so for everybody on our team, whether that's in the lane, whether that's on the perimeter. And so I think when we talk about taking care of the ball, we look at what are all the ways that that we can control. And, and you talked about this slowing down. That doesn't mean cutting slow. It doesn't mean not pushing the ball. It means slowing down and read what the defense gives you. And if the defense is trying to speed you up, 
And, and last year, Ohio State was a great example of trying to really speed teams up and make them play fast and almost frantic. That then, if you allow yourself to play at that that speed, then they they have the advantage. So how do you learn to slow down? And honestly, it's something that we we look at how how do we catch the ball, our takeoffs, so that we're we're ideally eliminating takeoff travels on the perimeter inside, whether that's in transition whether that's in press scenarios, whether that's in double team scenarios. So we look at a lot of different ways and we practice a lot of different things to try to put our players in those situations so that they can attack, but yet be in control, if that makes sense. No, it does. And, and again, that was, you know, kind of speaks to what we talked about up top with the way you guys played in South Dakota, where it was just picking people apart possession by possession and kind of valuing every possession at both ends. It obviously is a hard thing to institute in practice. Um, we'll be back shortly with segment three, but I want to kind of get to that process because to me it is really an interesting thing. But first. And so back with that process and thinking about it, to me, when I think about the development here of the sophomores, there's a couple of different ways I'm curious to break it down and, and to look at. And one, of course, is you talk about having those possessions count. You have some big options that are different this year than we saw a year ago. And so, you know, Nia Holloway, who was part of that celebrated group of four who came in last year, we haven't gotten to see Nia play on the court yet. So kind of take me through what you're seeing from her. She obviously knows the game so well from having spoken with her. Um, you know, how is she able to translate that as she physically gets back to where she needs to be? Well, I think it's been great. We had a chance to recruit Nia when we were at South Dakota. So I've had a chance to get to know her before coming here and coaching her. But working with her, what's been absolutely phenomenal is that, Howard, she does what, what, what the special players do when they're coming back from an injury is that she is working on such the finer details of how to become a better shooter, how to become more efficient at the rim. We all know she has the ability to track the ball and go rebound. And as she gets really comfortable, you know, being on the court and in traffic, that's going to really grow again. But what she's doing right now is really slowing down the mechanics of what she needs to do to be efficient on the offensive end of the court. And it's been awesome to watch because we know after coaching for, you talked about decades before that was long, but after coaching for a while, you understand that when players look at every possession as the most important possession, whether that's in a shooting rep, this possession matters, whether it's in a two on two, four on four, five on five, this possession counts. I have to be efficient at doing the little things that starts with the one on zero work around the rim or in ball handling. And that's how Nia attacks everything. So we are, we're excited for, for her and for her to get back really in the, in the flow and in the mix and figure out what that looks like for her. What exactly is her position? I don't know. I don't know where, but she, I think she has the ability to impact the game in a lot of different ways. It's so interesting, right? She's, she's six feet listed, but she plays bigger and, so much of this team over the last couple of years has been based around trying to get players to play bigger than they are. Sophie Hart offers you an option that, you know, that frankly, Lindsay didn't really have, a, you know, a six, five, you know, really skilled 
legitimate big five for her to be able, you know, for you to be able to utilize, you know, and, and I bring up for two reasons. One, because it changes, I think, what your options are to be able, uh, you know, to use with this team. But it also, and kind of go back to process, what does process look like at Minnesota? Here's a homegrown player, you know, in this case, went and came back, but is playing for this team. And you're utilizing, you know, the fertile ground there to be able to bring in that talent. You're seeing it with the players who you have committed already coming next year as well. You know, how much do you think that was kind of a, a signature um, for you of what you're hoping this program looks like going forward? Well, obviously having Sophie is is incredible for us because, like you mentioned, Sophie is different than a lot of players because she's got size. She has great hands. Yeah. She's a skilled kid. And, and I think what we what we have to learn how to do as a team this year is learn how to play at times when Sophie's in the game and then learn if she's not in the game. We may not have players that – we have players who may have very different skill sets than she does in that position. And so that may mean we have to look a little different at times. We may move our post kid around differently within our, our offensive looks. And so we are obviously just getting ready to start official practice but we did have the advantage of going overseas and, and playing in three games, which gave us the advantage of practicing an extra 10 times this summer. And that has allowed us to kind of jumpstart some of those big picture things. But ultimately, Howard, it comes back to when you get the ball around the rim, if you can score it efficiently, this is the math background. If you score it around the rim at a high percentage, then your team efficiency goes up. Then you work on hitting open shots from the perimeter then your efficiency improves there. That helps your overall team team field goal percentage. And then you got to take care of the basketball. So ultimately for us, all those other things, we have to figure out the movement pieces. We've been spending a lot of time working on that. Again, we have kids who really care and we have kids who are really smart. And so after really working on movement and changing our movement in, in over the course of one week, we've become a lot better at it. Now we have to move on to the next thing. So now our movement's going to get worse, <laughs> but our spacing might get better. Or maybe our efficiency gets a little bit better. Maybe our passing gets better. Then we're going to have to go back to working on movement. So it's all, it, you know, it's all give and take as we're doing all of it. So it, it's, but it's great. I, I do believe kind of your question was about how, how fertile we think this area is in, in women's basketball. Mm -hmm. and, and we believe that this region is loaded with great basketball talent and great young ladies and, and tough kids and kids who win at a high level. And so for us, it's a matter of establishing those connections or reestablishing connections and really trying to think, sell the vision of what we believe Minnesota women's basketball can become. And it has been in the past, just hasn't quite been there the last few, few years. It's true. And, and to me, and, this is sort of a bigger picture thing, but I feel like a lot of comparisons I see between Minnesota and Tennessee, as weird as that may sound, but just there is a historical past. There is this moment in time and Tennessee was a longer moment, but there's this sense of, you know, gee, a return to what was instead of, all right, here we are now. We're at a very different moment in the sport. There's a much larger talent pool and there's also more players willing to go more places and figuring out how that looks is a little different. But you are speaking my language when you say basketball is math. And that takes us to our last couple 
of points where I'm very excited to get into. It's very funny to me that we are 27 and a half minutes into this program and we have not talked about Mara Braun. And just for our listeners at home, I had the privilege of seeing some of the best freshmen in the country last year up close, you know, whether it was seeing Tania Latson, who's been on the show, whether it was Kiki Rice. I don't think I saw a more talented freshman last year than Mara Braun. And obviously, her decision to stay, her decision to build with you was enormous in and of itself. But I just wonder from you, as somebody who has crafted pro players, you know, I, I'm, Hannah Shervin is a great example of this. What do you see as what her arc should look like here as you are building her into what I believe is, you know, clearly a WNBA future? And frankly, I think the WNBA lottery future. Right. I think it's a great point. I think it's a great question, Howard. I one of when you watch when you watch Mara Braun play, what what I think a lot of players, a lot of people see is, man, she can really shoot it from the arc, and that is true, and it's true at a very very high level. Mm-hmm. What Mara brings to the game is so much more than that, and her ability to to see the game like she's on the sideline as a coach is something that is very very special where she can, at the end of each practice, we have a winner of the day. Sometimes there's a tie, we have two winners. But when there's a winner of the day and, and she's won several times, that person gives a shout-out to a teammate. And when the, the things that she says at that time are so thoughtful as if, as if she was writing notes during the course of practice on a piece of paper and then wanted to make sure that she remembered to say it at the end. And I think to myself, how did she do that? She was in the middle of competing. When you're in the middle of competing, you're not really thinking you're just playing. And so her ability to understand the game and to lead is something that is very, very special because not only is she a skilled young lady, but she is a very, um, she, she understands the game at such a high level. And so it, that part is going to be the piece that uh, I think a lot of people are, are maybe don't aren't able to see it, mm-hmm. you know, because you can't hear what's being said all the time and you can't see all the interactions. But that's something that I believe will be a separator for her. Then, obviously, I think her defense is is has the ability to be really good. I, I, I believe that we have the ability, the the pieces to have the ability to be good defensively. Now, again, that doesn't happen right away. That takes some time. But we have size. We have length. We have some speed. We have the ability to rebound. So now how, how do we – when are we supposed to do what? How are we supposed to get there? How are we supposed to get through screens? Are we going to be disciplined enough to do it consistently enough? All those pieces remain to be seen. But I think that's another part of Mara's game, and we saw that in her three-on-three competition. She can guard. She can really defend. Yeah. And from day one, I mean, listen – her, her steal percentage north of two, being able to anticipate to make those plays as a freshman feels like a very big deal. Getting back to the efficiency question, taking care of the basketball, to have a turnover percentage south of 14% as a freshman, you know, to not be making those types of quote-unquote freshman mistakes feels like a very big deal. But then there's just, there's so much of that experience. And that's kind of where I wanted to end up on Mara with you, which is, you know, having had the USA basketball experience, having had the three-on-three time, are you seeing some things in her here in the, the fall that you didn't see when you were looking at film of her over for her freshman year in Minnesota? Well, again, I think what we're seeing is the understanding piece and how to, how to help bring that, bring out the best in others. 
You know, my favorite player of all time was Magic Johnson. And so I don't tell many Magic Johnson stories to our players because they don't even know who he is, right? Or at least some of them do, not all of them. But I think the, the qualities of being a great leader and bringing out the best and competitive excellence and playing at your best and your best is needed or bringing out the best in your teammate. And I think those are things that, again, how, you don't know those about players until you have a chance to really be around them. And we believe that she has those characteristics and that our our goal as coaches is to help her continue to grow all of her skill sets but not just how to be efficient how to score how to defend how to do those type of things but what does it look like to be cool calm and collected when things aren't going our way because the reality is they're not always going to go our way and i don't care what team you are that's that's going to happen and so who at that moment again we go back to how many timeouts we get who in that moment can take us and gather us and calm us down and get us to do what we need to do. It's going to be a fascinating thing to see. Uh, Coach, I appreciate your time very much. So thank you. And uh, to our listeners, thank you, as always, for making us your first listen every day. We will be back with you tomorrow morning talking about the Connecticut Sun with Jacqueline LeBlanc, who is our Connecticut Sun beat reporter over at the next. I may look a little tired, so I'm going to go up to New York and it's an eight o'clock start and I'll be coming back the same day. But we are here for you every day. Thank you. And until tomorrow, I'm Howard Magdal wishing all of you a wonderful Tuesday. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. 